Welcome to the On the Front Lines edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. On February 24th, news of Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine flooded newsrooms, becoming one of the largest military attacks in Europe since the Second World War. Millions of refugees from Ukraine have crossed into neighboring countries in the space of a few weeks, while countless others await a safe place to call home from bomb shelters below. All while Ukrainian Canadians work day in and day out to spread awareness of the tragedy taking place and save their loved ones back home. This week, I'm joined by Larissa Waller. She's the former Executive Director of Communications to Premier Doug Ford, a principal at GT and Co, and a volunteer with the Canada-Ukraine Foundation. We discuss her experience as Ukrainian-Canadian and how the community at large in Canada is coping. This is Political Traction. My friend Larissa, thank you for coming on the show. Um, normally I kind of try and do like a, a super happy intro, but I know like the circumstances of us seeing each other, although she looks fabulous, uh, has a brand new hairdo, um, are I guess less than, than the last time we saw each other. But, um, you know, before we get into everything, how are you, how are you doing? How are things on your side since you've left politics and started your own company and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, things are, things are well, um, I work with great people, um, I don't mind the change of pace. I've got two small kids, so the timing was good for me to uh, to step back from politics and focus a little more on parenting and a better work life balance. Um, but otherwise, I'm well. Um, right now, it's a, that's a hard question to answer, and I think you know a lot of people call and text, and I think they're looking for reassurance that it's okay. They're looking for an answer, like you know, like how are you? How is your family? Like the answer is like bad. Like <laughs> yeah. we're not doing well. Um, the Ukrainian Canadians are doing well. My family in Ukraine is not doing well. Like it's, it's not a good time. Um, but I'm happy to have this opportunity to talk to you about it and, and tell as many people as, as are listening kind of my perspective and, um, and the perspective I think of a lot of my community members. So jumping into that, what, I guess maybe just tell the listeners like, they don't have back on. I've, I've seen you on social yeah. for ages. Right. So I know like your, your kids, you've raised them very much with, uh, you know, a strong understanding of the Ukrainian heritage. I see they do homework. Um, they have it all written, written out and, you know, you, you do the traditional like Christmas and all this kind of stuff, but, yeah. um, you're obviously it's, you're really much steeped in the culture. I think it's a big part of who you are. So I guess maybe talk to us a little bit about like, what's the Ukrainian Canadian community like in Canada? Um, knowing we're, I think the largest diaspora outside of Ukraine and, and Russia and, you know, how, what's it been like to watch this unfold over the last few weeks? Cause it's sort of, you know, Putin's been sort of saber rattling, but it felt at least to a, like an untrained observer, like me, it just sort of like all of a sudden flipped, but what, what's it, what's the, I guess, talk to me a little bit about the Ukrainian Canadian community in Canada and what's it like being a part of that. And then how, how that's changed over the last few weeks. Yeah, sure. Okay. So. So the Ukrainian community in Canada is, is big. Um, dating back to, you know, the late 1800s was when the first wave of immigrants came in. Those immigrants are largely in the West. Um, a lot of them were given plots of land, um, which, you know, they broke in by hand. Um, now they're generations and generations of farmers. That's why when you go to, you know, Manitoba and West, everybody's Ukrainian. Um, and everyone identifies as, you know, full or partially Ukrainian. 
Um, other waves of immigrants came. My, my uh, grandparents and my father came um, right after World War II. Uh, my dad was born in a displaced persons camp um, close to Ukraine. And, um, and then they came over to Sudbury and my grandfather worked in the nickel mines. Um, so there's that, like, that's a huge influx of immigrants that came in. And, and that's largely my community. Um, and then there's people who came in right around the fall of the Soviet bloc. Um, and then there's people who come in now. So we call those waves. Um, right now, I think we're on our, what we're calling the fourth and fifth wave. Um, all these immigrant experiences are a little different. The language is a little different. I speak Ukrainian as somebody who left Ukraine in the 40s. Um, and people who come over from Ukraine now think that like my Ukrainian, they, they call it like Polish Ukrainian or, you know, they can tell that my language is a little different. Um, what my grandparents and my parents' generation did when they came to Canada, especially in Toronto, is they set up all these community organizations. Um, so, you know, there's scouting, there's church, there's dancing, there's all these sorts of things. Um, one of the big things they did uh, within the TCDSB, the Catholic School Board, is set up some Eastern Rite schools. Um, so my kids actually go to an Eastern Rite Catholic school, which means they it's, it's a culturally a Ukrainian school within the Catholic system, um, but it's focused on Eastern Catholicism, um, which means my kids go to a school where they all the kids there are Ukrainian, um, half the kids there are immigrants. Uh, so so the, the emotional needs right now at my kids' school is really, really high because everybody's Ukrainian, half the kids are born there, many, many fathers have returned to fight. Um, and so these kids are, you know, Canadian kids, um, but their fathers are right now fighting, fighting in Ukraine. Um, so that's a bit of the the uh, the background on the culture. I think what's what's actually unique is, you know, I was born here, my kids are born here, we all speak Ukrainian fluently, which is funny because Ukrainian's like not the most useful language to know. Uh, <laughs> it's so <laughs> shit. A friend yeah. of mine speaks Portuguese. I was like, why did you do that? Anyway, but like, uh, it's a little Portuguese, more useful than Ukrainian. More useful, yeah. more useful yeah. than Ukrainian. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the Ukrainians who've come over recently speak Russian. Um, that language used to be a real cultural divide. Um, and I think over the last 10 years, much less so. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll back up to about 10 years ago and talk about why, say, we're not super surprised with what happened with Putin. Um, Putin invaded Ukraine most formally in 2014, mm -hmm. 2015. He took uh, Crimea um, and then um, parts of uh, Luhansk and Donbass, not the whole thing, just parts of it. Um, and that's where he claimed that these are all the Russians he's, he's saving. Um, so a lot of people now are saying, you know, Putin invaded. He invaded like eight years ago, right? And he never left. Um, he's increased that invasion, obviously. What we're, what I'm surprised about, I never thought he'd like go like balls out straight to KU, that he, I never thought he'd bomb the West. I, we always thought like, you know, my family's largely in the West, some are in KU. We always thought they'd be safe there. Um, they're not super safe there. Um, so, so it's not overly surprising that he's got in further than where he went in 2014. But what is surprising to everybody is how brazenly he's gone straight for the capital. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about, you said you've, you've, you've your family back there in, in Kiev and also in the West. I mean, yep. I've seen you post kind of screenshots on your social, like, you know, you're on these chat groups and people put like, you know, my, yeah. my grandma's there. She can't walk. Can you help? Like, can we help her or get supplies? Like, what's that? What is that like? It's really like, it's hard. Right. And I, 
I like to solve problems, right? Um, yeah, you do. I know that. I do. <laughs> I like to solve problems. I like Marissa to help gets people. shit done. If anyone's listening, she gets shit done. I try. Um, but it's hard to get shit done when I'm in Canada. And like, yeah. like I got a, a text message um, from somebody the other night. Uh, their friend's grandmother is stuck in a wheelchair, like on the eighth floor of a building in Cave. Her caregiver's gone. Everyone's gone. Can we get her some help? Like that's really hard to do, right? Yeah. Um, we have a network. Um, so I have a network of people um, who know a lot of people. Uh, and so we try, but it's really sort of like guerrilla style. Who do you know? Who can you pay? Like, you know, who who's still there? Um, I read a stat today that there's still half the population of cave is still there. So there's still people there, but they're in bomb shelters and they're busy. So it's 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 really tough to get help. And is your is your family still in in Kiev, or have they they moved like have they um, been able to evacuate, or are they staying because they they're fighting? Like, the men stayed, there? yeah. So the men stayed, um, and the women and the children went to the west. They went to the Salah, which is like kind of like saying going to the cottage, except like not as nice. Um, a lot of people who have places in the city have um, family Salahs, which is like a family like farmland or a family like little hut or shack or whatever in in the country um the idea was that you'd be safe in the village um but now you're not that safe in the village so like there's there's very little there's very little peace anywhere um we see we see lots of videos of of bombs being dropped on villages like on churches and villages um so so like that my family's in the salah in the west is is still not the best thing um you mentioned just a little earlier, so your kids go to a Ukrainian, like kind of Ukrainian school here. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that there, like, there are dads there that have left to go back to fight. Um, yeah. Obviously, that would be like, you know, people people our age, right? Like in their forties. So, like, can you talk a bit about because we've seen that phenomenon a little bit that yeah. I've read about it, and it's certainly media are picking up on it more. Yeah. But how real is it that you're seeing either Ukrainian Canadians or just Canadians go over there and, and how, like, what's that decision-making process like? And what's that like for families that are, that are staying here? I think it was um, not a hard decision for them. Um, I know a lot of Canadians who have no ties to Ukraine who on principle want to go fight, right? And these are young men who, you know, I say young, they're like 30s and 40s. I know, I feel fans. young. I know. I'm too, still young. I'm almost 40. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, who, who want to go, you know, on the principle of what's happening, um, but they've got families, they've got responsibilities, they've got mortgages yeah. and jobs. Right. Um, and the fathers that I know who've gone back and the men who I know have gone back, they're largely Ukrainian born. Okay. Um, there's a few who are like me first generation and it's just a sense of duty. Um, so this isn't the first time Ukraine has fought a Russian invasion, right? Like every hundred or so years, we deal with something like this. So every, you know, patriotic song we ever learned in Scouts or Ukrainian school, or if you look at the, at the lyrics of the Ukrainian national anthem, they all speak of a Russian invasion. And so, Oh, do um, they? oh yeah, it's oh. It, like, I'll send you some stuff. Um, but like the lyrics of the, of the Ukrainian national anthem literally say like, our enemies will die like the dew in the morning sun. Um, we're very po- we're very poetic people, um, or like the the whole sunflower thing where you tell your so- you tell the invading soldiers to carry 
um, sunflower seeds in their pockets so that flowers will grow on their graves. Um, yeah, so so like the idea that that Ukrainians living in Canada or even Canadian-born Ukrainians are have a sense of patriotism is not super surprising to me. Um, I'm really like over overwhelmed by the people who've signed up around the world for the Foreign Legion that have nothing to do with Ukraine. They're just like, you know, this is right and wrong. And if I don't stand up for right and wrong, you know, who will? Um, I saw a video of a guy in London, like he's just like a normal guy, right? Um, he's not white, he's not Ukrainian. Um, and and the BBC was video uh, was uh, taping him. And he just said like, I don't have a family, I'm a young guy, I can, I can go fight, so I will. And And like, that's inspiring to me. And I, I want to just unpack that a little bit in that I, I saw this GIF um, or GIF, like an image online. And I just pulled up my phone and it literally says heaviest objects in the universe. And then there's like the sun, neutron stars, a little dip, black holes, a little dip. And the next thing is Ukrainian people's balls. And it is like literally yeah. like a deep, like, and we've watched this as like Westerners, frankly. Um, and you mentioned like, it's in your national anthem. It's in your ethos as a people, but just the and I don't want to make light of it, but the unmitigated like badassness of your, like the Ukrainian people, like I would, like I, like I knew there was a toughness, but yeah, like the do not fuck with us sort of attitude is, I guess, and that comes from being under pressure constantly, but even, and also I think the way, and you're a comms person as well, right? The way your president has sort of captured this and been so smart about the way that's been broadcast, yeah. right? And like the harnessing of social media, which I think has kept it on the front page as a lead story into week three, which we also know is highly, like, even though this is a big story, um, you know, people are engaged, like 70% yeah. of Canadians are following this, like at least closely around. So, so what do you make of all of that aspect of it? And do you see part of your role here in Canada is to, like I've seen you retweet and push is to continue pushing that information. Is that part of the campaign that if you're, you can't go and fight, we want to make sure that we're, we're spreading the word and making sure people see this front and center. Like what's that? What has that been like for you watching it as a communicator and also somebody that, you know, has steeped in this culture? So yeah, you're not surprised that they're saying like old ladies are building Molotov cocktails from Google, the stuff and like giving like sunflower seeds to soldiers to telling them to die. But the rest of us are sort of like, holy shit. Um, yeah. Talk about that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm happy to. Um, I think, you know, I think they'll study the communications and the social media story of this, you know, in every PR class forever from now on and every leadership class will look at Zelensky like you know as the gold standard um, Zelensky himself is an interesting character an interesting story he won um so he's his background is um he's an actor went to law school um the show he's he created and started was of this average teacher who ran for president and was like the accidental president of Ukraine and then he ran for president and he became the accidental president of Ukraine. He won with about 70% of the popular vote. After he won, um, he, he wasn't super popular. Ukrainians don't love to love their president. Um, they never reelect them. I think there's been one guy's been reelected since the fall of the, of the USSR. Um, they don't give them a chance. Like basically if you haven't delivered on every single promise, they vote you out, like devastatingly vote you out. Um, and there's a joke, if you put two Ukrainians in a room, uh, you'll come back 20 minutes later, they 
they have formed three different political parties. Like <laughs> <laughs> Ukrainians love politics. Um, and our democracy isn't perfect. And there's lots of examples of, of voter fraud over the years. Um, but Ukraine, I think, as a country has come a really long way. We've welcomed international observers. Like you and I both know people who've gone over as international mm -hmm. observers. Um, and so, so Ukraine's democracy is fragile, but it's active. Um, and so the president, you know, he wasn't doing super well domestically. He had done um, a couple tours, a couple visits internationally, and he's very affable. So people were kind of giving him a chance. Um, but what he's very good at, and if, you know, I spent some time going back, watching videos of him, um, as an actor, he was on Dancing with the Stars. Like he's a phenomenal dancer. I've um, seen the he, videos. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but he knows how to emotionally connect his audience, right? And I yeah. think that that skill is super transferable right now uh, and super important right now. And he knows how to use social media. And if you look at the members of his cabinet and of uh, Ukraine's legislature, which is called the Rada, they're young, right? They're like 30s and 40s. They all use social media. They all use their smartphones. Um, and they have a really droll sense of humor, always have. Uh, and so that's a, a recipe for success from a comms point of view. Um, but, you know, Zelensky himself, he's the descendant of ho a Holocaust survivor, right? Like his his paternal uh, grandfather lost his three brothers, like to the Holocaust. Um, and so the idea that, you know, he's he's gonna cower in the face of uh, of an enemy uh, he understands from a very, very personal level how important it is to show unrelenting leadership and to show um, bravery in the face of, you know, any any invader, any opposition. Um, and I think if he had abandoned his post, the country would have fallen within days, right? Instead, they're all fighting and they're all fighting to the death. And, you know, we all say, I could never do that. We don't know. Right, like we're we're all proud Canadians, but, and and this is like I think a fair comparison. I mean, there's so many experts will pick this apart to the ninth degree, but if America, which is massive compared to Canada, if America decided to invade Canada, right, would we not fight? We we would, right? Now that will very likely never happen, but in terms of scale of opponents, that's what it's like. It is like a massive you know, David versus Goliath just coming in. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, when the USSR fell apart, there were a lot of guarantees and promises made from the international community that will protect Ukraine, right? There's the Budapest memorandum that I like keep pushing ad nauseum on Twitter. Um, I think it was in 94 and it was signed by uh, the UK and the US, it was Clinton. And it promised that it would, protect the sovereignty of Ukraine if Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons. Ukraine had at the time the third largest arsenal of nuclear weapons and Ukraine did it, right? They decided they wanted to look West. They wanted a, a, to be a country of peace. They gave up their nuclear arsenal. And, and so now you look at like NATO won't enforce a no-fly zone. NATO is kind of, I got a lot to say about NATO. Um, yeah. But they're, if I'm, if, Ukraine always like wanted to join NATO. Now I don't think they want to join NATO so badly. Um, <laughs> NATO's not proving to be like the best friend it could have been. Um, but the Budapest Memorandum, I think is important to talk about because the Ukraine gave up their, their biggest defense system on the promise that the UK and the US would protect them. And, and where are they now, right? You know, they're sending over weapons, they're not sending enough. 
Um, the US just blocked Poland's ability to give them fighter jets. Um, Poland said they'll give them the fighter jets. You know, we won't protect your skies, but you can protect your own skies. And that's fine, right? Ukraine has pilots who know how to fly Soviet planes. Just give us the planes. The US said no, All right? There's other countries out around the world that are like blocking important lethal aid. And, and, and then Ukrainians are making Molotov cocktails in their basements, right? And they're learning how to throw the Molotov cocktail into the like cabin of the tank because they don't want to waste the Molotov cocktail and they want to like kill the guy. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's surreal. And I will say it's, it's watching NATO and everybody sort of writhe around on this one is, has been, um, awful as a North American. And actually I learned about that accord by the way from you on twitter and then went and researched it so your your efforts oh, thank to, you to, no literally <laughs> i was like i'm like i used it in arguments i actually used it on radio because i was like this has happened and da, 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 da. so yeah. you're 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 so this this part of it uh, that you were doing here is working and, and and certainly um echoing out further to that end i know you do work with the ukrainian canadian foundation correct that's the organization uh, the, the canada ukraine foundation canada, yeah. ukraine, sorry inverted it yep canada, ukraine okay. foundation so for folks listening who, you know, I think lots of people have made donations and they should continue yep. to do that. Um, and then we mentioned um, people picking up and going to fight. See some stuff in between those two things that would be useful for folks to do. Right. Um, for folk, for people listening or who want to do more, what would you suggest? What do you, what, what, what can we do short of flying over there? Um, yeah. Would- there's a few ways to help. So, so some of the organizations I work with, Canada Ukraine Foundation um, is a big one. Um, it's a charity in Canada. They do humanitarian aid. So following the 2014 invasion, um, my sister organized seven medical missions staffed with surgeons and nurses from Canada, uh, largely from Sunnybrook, but from across Canada. Um, and Canada Ukraine Foundation paid for that, organized that, and, um, and has, has deep roots working in Ukraine um, on a humanitarian basis. They're right now focusing on medical aid, shelter, and food, right? Um, and Canada Ukraine Foundation has current roots into Ukraine, which is one of the big things I look for when I'm thinking about who am I going to support, like who is actually on the ground and has a way to get in. That's really hard to do right now. The other organization I work with is the Ukrainian World Congress. They have a campaign called UniteWithUkraine.com. Um, What they're focusing on is non-lethal military aid. So bulletproof vests, helmets, night vision goggles, fuel communication systems. Um, The two are different. Um, One, you can basically, one, you can get a tax receipt, one, you can't. Um, But what Ukrainians need right now, uh, especially are bulletproof vests, helmets, night vision goggles, communication systems. So a lot of people are switching kind of their giving profile to that. Um, and then you've got other charities like Help Us Help is a, is a children's charity that, that I've volunteered with uh, in the past. Um, and they're going to be focusing on helping kids. Um, like they're doing some work right now, but, but in the recovery, right? So Ukraine has a big orphan problem, has since Chernobyl. I should probably have before Chernobyl, but exacerbated by Chernobyl. Um, and so, so there's, there's a lot of work to be done there. There's going to be a ton of work to be done supporting refugees who come to Canada mm-hmm. and refugees in, in the neighboring NATO countries. Like Poland has stepped up, you know, every, they're saying every Polish family has Ukrainian family living with them. And, and that's like, there's so many there. Um, so, so supporting refugees is going to be huge. Uh, pressuring the Canadian government 
um, both to increase their, their military support um, and to expedite refugees coming to Canada. Um, it's a complicated thing, right? Like, like bringing in mass refugees always gets like politically fraught and always gets complicated. Um, but the more that we can do to pressure the government, um, the better will be, uh, the better the Ukrainian people will be. Like my friend uh, texted me the other day and she's like, what can I do? And I literally said, write your MP, like put okay. it on the record. And I know this sounds a little Pollyanna. I write my MP and my MPP all the time to put it on the record, right? Yeah. Because I've been on that side and the question is always, well, have you gotten any letters on this? Have you gotten yep. any phone calls? So, I, I mean, God, I'm the most annoying constituent on every issue because I'm always calling and writing. Um, but on this one, like I'm calling and writing a lot because and I'm encouraging everyone to do that. Um, you know, you look at what happened with Germany with with this war. Germany at the beginning was like, oh, we don't really want to get involved. Right. Like not super our problem. And, you know, we have a really big. Uh, Russian energy problem that we'll have to deal with if we do get involved and the German people like hundreds of thousands of people demonstrated in the streets and kept the pressure on their government and Germany like came around I don't think they're doing enough yet but it's a far far, far cry from where they started um, so so the big things right now how you can help write your MP donate money don't donate stuff anymore. Um, there's so much stuff that's been donated. The warehouses are full. The planes are really expensive to send over yeah. and you can buy stuff in Europe, right? So yeah. so there are some things we need, like we need in Canada, we have most of what we need to take over there. So we're encouraging people right now, if you wanna like have a clothing drive or food drive, do it, but do it for the refugees that are gonna come. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Larissa, for doing this and for chatting with us about this. Um, I hope Happy your family to. stays safe um, and, um, you know, thinking of you and uh, I'll certainly look into some of that stuff and I will write and call my MP because I write your MP. No, you're right, though. I like well, I remember in mayor's office, we would have a weekly report. It was like, what are the top three top things that yeah. I emailed about the most? Like, what are the you know, what's the issue like that? It works, people. Um, all right, my friend. Well, thank you. Um, good luck. I will continue Thanks. to watch your socials and, um, use your arguments and give you credit for them, um, Thanks. on air whenever I talk about this stuff and, uh, oh. um, we will keep in touch. That's kind of you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Kimberly Drapak, Matthew Barnes, Adam Owen, and Thomas Ashcroft. This is the last show produced by Kimberly Drapak. We want to say a huge thank you to her and wish her all the best on her new adventures. A very special thank you also goes out to the sweet guest, Larissa Waller. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Polly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next week.